Greetings. Thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Aviva Systems Physical 2022 First Quarter Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand a conference over, your, over to your speaker today, Atto Garrett, Senior Director, Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Good afternoon, and welcome to Viva's Fiscal 2022 First Quarter Earnings Conference Call for the quarter ended April 30th, 2021. As a reminder, we posted prepared remarks on Viva's Investor Relations website just after 1 p.m. Pacific today. We hope you've had a chance to read them before the call. Today's call will be primarily used for Q&A. With me today for Q&A are Peter Gassner, our Chief Executive Officer, Brent Melman, our Chief Financial Officer, and Paul Shawa, DPP Strategy. During the course of this call, we may make forward-looking statements regarding trends, our strategies, and the anticipated performance of the business. These forward-looking statements will be based on our current views and expectations and are subject to various risks and uncertainties. Our actual results may differ materially. Please refer to the risks listed in our earnings release and on the risk factors included in our most recent filing on Form 10-K. Forward-looking statements made during the call are being made as of today, May 27, 2021, based on the facts available to us today. If this call is replayed or viewed after today, the information presented during the call may not contain current or accurate information. Viva disclaims any obligation to update or revise forward-looking statements. We may discuss our guidance on today's call, but we will not provide any further guidance or updates on our performance during the quarter unless we do so in a public forum. On the call, we may also discuss certain non-GAAP metrics that we believe aid in the understanding of our financial results. Our reconciliation to comparable GAAP metrics can be found in today's earnings release and in the supplemental investor presentation, both of which are available on our website. With that, thank you for joining us, and I will turn the call over to Peter. Thank you, Atto, and welcome to the call, everyone. We had an outstanding Q1 with results well ahead of guidance due to significant outperformance in development cloud and continued strength in commercial cloud. Total revenue in the quarter was $434 million, up 29% year-over-year, with subscription revenue up 26% to $341 million. Non-GAAP operating income was $181 million, or 42% of total revenue. You will find further details about the quarter in our prepared remarks posted on our website at One Pacific today. At this point, I would like to open up the call to questions for Brent, Paul, or myself. And ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, to ask a question, that is star one. And your first question comes from a line of Brian Peterson with Raymond James. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Uh, thanks, gentlemen. Congrats on a really strong result. So, um, so, so obviously, we, we saw an acceleration in, in the Vault Services revenue. I know this has come up in the past, but, but Brett, how, how do I think about the Vault Services as, a, as an indicator of what's going on in the broader business? Is, is that a, a future indicator, a coincidence? Just, just try to help me frame that a little bit. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Um, yeah, so services in general is not a good leading indicator, um, I would say. Um, you know, one thing to keep in mind is just there's just a lot of variability in services revenue. So, and, and why is that? I mean, different products have you know different service requirements and 
customers have, you know, different needs um, based on their in-house capabilities. But what I will say, you know, we're very pleased with the overall service business, the strength that we saw on the development side and, and broadly. Got it. Okay. It, it just maybe on the quality strength, I know we, we heard that, that as a narrative last quarter. Uh, you know, Peter or Paul, I, I don't know who wants to take that, but just, you know, what you're seeing in terms of the quality uh, quality product and, and how that's really ramping up with customers. Thanks, guys. Yeah, <clears throat> thanks, Brian. This is Paul. Uh, yeah, we did have uh, another strong quarter overall in quality, really broadly across development cloud, but in quality in particular. And, you know, I, I guess I started at the, the highest level, the unified vision that we have in development cloud is working, and quality is just a perfect example where we're bringing together documentation with uh, quality management, with training, and they're all uh, progressing really, really well. Customers are buying into that overall vision, and then they're uh, they're, they're rolling out and, and kind of driving to that vision over time. Uh, so we had really strong performance in, in quality ops and uh, in, in really in all of the areas. And uh, companies are looking to, to modernize in the quality space, and they're looking to Viva to be that partner to, uh, to help them there. So really pleased with that progress. Thanks, Paul. And your next question comes from a line of Donald Hooker with Key Bank Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Uh, great. Good afternoon. Thank you. Just like to hear maybe a little bit more, if you would all share with us uh, some of your thoughts around the pharma sales force globally. It seemed like from the prepared comments, you're walking back some of your concerns or maybe pushing them out. Can you just maybe expand on your thinking there? Yeah, sure. I can give you some color on that. Uh, you know, we, this is something we watch and, and keep an eye on very closely. There's always, you know, some variability up and down every quarter, but uh, we, we haven't seen any of the, any of the, the reductions uh, so far uh, that we've talked about, I guess, two quarters ago now. Uh, but having said that, uh, you know, this, I guess maybe the, the context and the color behind that, these are significant changes. The industry hasn't yet hit a new steady state and stabilized yet in terms of what the, the field structure is going to look like. So these are big changes for pharma companies, which is why I think it'll take a little bit longer, and I think we'll start to see that impact uh, closer to the second half of this year and then likely through the end of next year. So uh, I wouldn't classify it as a walking back. I'd classify it more as, um, you know, just happening a little bit more over time. Okay. And then I guess in recent quarters there's been a lot of buzz around decentralized clinical trials. Um, across the CRO space and, and pharma in general. Is that, does that require for you guys any incremental investment? Is there something else you would need? There's a whole bunch of these decentral, decentralized clinical trial companies coming, coming to market. And I'm just wondering for, for you all if there's, is that a new, maybe a new product area or is that sort of what you already have? Is there something else you need there? Yeah, decentralized trials, that's part of what we call digital trials. So that's moving clinical trials to paperless and patient-centric. Decentralized trials itself refers to most often to being able to do parts of the trial process with the patient in the patient's home, still supervised by uh, a caregiver, but that may be through an in-home nurse or that may be through a Zoom call, something like, like that. So we do have um, significant technology investment in that area, and that will be ongoing. That's things like uh, MyViva for patients, for example. That will fit into decentralized clinical trials, what we're doing for, for e-consent, our Site Connect product, and then we'll connect that into our uh, clinical suite for the sponsors. So it's a big opportunity and area investment, but for us it will be a bit broader. It's what we call digital trials. 
Okay, maybe um, I'll just throw one last one in, and just kind of a, a kind of one from left field for me. Um, I, I guess, have you all ever thought about, or is there any kind of thought about expanding sort of into more preclinical functionality? Is there any opportunity there? I guess maybe the argument being with all these more advanced biotherapeutics and cell and gene therapies, is there a greater need to link together workflows perhaps across clinical and preclinical and discovery and all that? Is there a sort of an expansion opportunity there for you at some point over time? Well, I'll play, this is Peter, I'll play left fielder today, and I got that one out of left field. So we broadly characterize that as a preclinical. Some people would also characterize that as the research area of pharmaceutical. That's not an area where we're uh, focused at, at this time. When you keep an eye on it, then, you know, you never say never in the future, but that's not, there's no ongoing investment or product from Viva at, at this time. Yeah, I would say it's lightly connected. That would be an area that would be lightly connected to the rest of our products, and we have no plans at this time. Thank you. And your next question comes from the line of Ken Wong with Guggenheim Partners. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Ken, your line is open. Sorry about that mute button. Uh, this is an extension of the, the last question to some degree. Uh, Peter, when, when we talk to our contacts in the life science industry, a theme that keeps popping up is kind of this past year led to a potential reimagining of clinical workflows from trials to submission to, to post-production, uh, you know, which could potentially lead to a replatforming for many customers. How much truth is there in that particular statement, do you think? And then just given your your end-to-end stack, is it, is it fair to assume that Viva would be a potential beneficiary of, of such a replatforming? Uh, Ken, I, that's fair to think that the customers are definitely reimagining things. COVID, and across all industries, has, has caused people to think maybe some assumptions that they had in the past were not valid. And so now they're trying to question everything, more open to innovation, I think. You know, tremendous downside to COVID in terms of loss of life and freedom mobility, that type of thing. But um, it is spurring innovation. Adversity creates innovation. So that is what's going on. So there's question, questioning. Um, when we look at replatforming, I think really what I see from the customers is, yeah, reimagining efficiency, digital data investment. and. Yeah, I think we're we're getting a slight tailwind for, from that. Again, though, we have a long cycle with our customers, so it's not something you, that you're going to immediately see, but that will be a continued and moderate tailwind for us for the next three, four years, really. Um, and, uh, I, you know, it's, it's a positive trend when customers look to innovation because our product footprint is well-positioned. We, we did a lot of things um, as we moved into digital last year especially with my Viva and the digital trials and Viva Engage at position as well. So I, I think we're in a good position and in a favorable position, Ken. Yeah, very helpful, Peter. Thanks for the insight. Uh, and then a, a quick one for, uh, for for you, Paul. Just just wondering on, on Data Cloud, uh, you guys talked about seeing more customer interest there. Any sense if there's there's a good amount of pent-up demand for when you guys finally roll out uh, the, the rest of the, the prescription data and, and kind of across uh, U.S. and to the extent international at some point? Yeah, so, you know, we're, we're certainly focused on uh, the U.S. market at this point. And as you know, our first product in that in data cloud is patient data. We will, uh, as you mentioned, uh, have uh, prescriber and, and sales data over time. 
so the focus right now is patient data. It's on building the, the best patient data product and uh, longitudinal patient data, and it's working in the early market. You know, so we're really proud of the, you know, the success and, and the value that we're creating for, uh, for customers in, in, the, uh, in the early market. Um, in terms of you know, pent-up demand, uh, th this is a long journey. We're investing for the long term here. We're excited about the innovation, and our customers are excited about the innovation we can deliver, but they recognize that uh, this is really a long-term play. Uh, so uh, we're in it for the long haul, and uh, we're excited about the progress we've made so far. Great. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Ken. As a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, that is star one. And your next question comes from the line of Raven Siri with William Blair. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Great. Thanks, guys. This is uh, Dylan Becker actually on for Bavon um, tonight. But congrats on the quarter and appreciate you taking our questions. Um, I guess first, uh, as we're seeing kind of an increased willingness here, you, you noted kind of several um, customers throughout the quarter um, looking to standardize across kind of your clinical suite and leverage those solutions. And it makes a lot of sense to have all of this data across a common platform, right, to accelerate the development. Um, so I guess my, the question is, how should we be thinking about um, the importance of, of further standardization as uh, a future driver supporting the cross-sell efforts, especially related to some of the earlier stage offerings, uh, CTMS, CDMS safety, uh, et cetera? Uh, and Bill and this Peter, I'll take that one. What's going on is um, they're looking for an integrated suite. Not so much standardization on technology is nice, and that's useful. They will get a you know a common vendor that they can trust, common way to do audits, common way to do integrations, that type of thing. But the real um, benefit that they're looking for is common business practices. So when we have the clinical operations suite integrated with the clinical data management suite, and there can be seamless flow across there, that's that's what's uh, Keep, you know, exciting people, and that'll just be a long-term competitive advantage uh, for Viva because clinical trial efficiency, that, that is extra important to life sciences companies. That's the essence of a life sciences company, um, getting products approved to market quickly. So it's, it's not the standardization of technology, but it's the seamless business process that they're looking for. Right, right. Yep, thank you. Um, there, And then maybe one for Paul to... Um, and I don't want to dig kind of too deep into it, but I guess can you talk about uh, – we, we just kind of mentioned some of the early traction around the data cloud piece, um, but uh, as this kind of is a driver of sustainability on that commercial side as well um, and kind of some of the releases that we've seen um, from, from IQVIA um, in, in recent days here, can you remind us um, if, if and kind of what any impact this might have on that data cloud segment as well? Yeah, there, there's no there's no impact, you know, in, in terms of you know Ikevia and uh, you know there's obviously been a lot of noise in the marketplace and, and kind of their uh, anti-competitive behaviors that you know they have a history of, but that really has no impact at all on data cloud. Data cloud's our own product. It's data that we're sourcing and and uh, innovating in a really different way uh, for the marketplace. So uh, so no material impact that we no impact at all, I should say, uh, around data cloud. Perfect. Thank you guys very much. And your next question comes from the line of Stephanie Davis with SVB Learing. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thank you for taking my question, guys, and congratulations on a really strong quarter. 
we've seen a, a pretty meaningful uptick in funding for health tech companies that compete with the vault suite of products. So I love your early take on how you're thinking about these players. Should we think of them as more pure play competitors that are just subscale, or is there a potential partnership and integration that can maybe increase the value of Vault as a platform? Definitely, this Peter. Uh, yes, certainly. Um, not just in health tech overall. Um, the market, early markets, uh, awash with capital right now, and so you get you get multiple new uh, entrants. Now you get lower quality entrants on the average because you're you know you're getting you're getting uh, diffusity and 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 money in a surplus. So I think that's what's going on. In terms of some of those, uh, many of those will be competitors in in one of our application areas. Well, they will be a competitor in one of our application areas. I think that's overall good for the industry. It'll it'll you know sharpen Viva's uh, you know competitive focus and lead to product innovation. And then some of them will be uh, partners and really fit into the Vault platform nicely. Those will tend to be smaller, uh, more practical, uh, lower-funded companies because the high-funded companies they have to go for the highest, highest market. Um, I think that's you know that's fine. It's good competition. I think it'd be difficult for them in many ways because um, the pharmaceutical companies are not looking for a quick win, flash in the pan like that. They're really looking yeah. for a long-term partner that has a that has a full suite. So overall, I view the trend as positive for Rita. Well, continuing that thought of the the less funded players or probably the most likely partners, how do you think about M&A for growing in that space? Yeah, um, M&A, I would say not not different in that play, space versus other uh, places that we've been in. We would look for M&A for growth, um, so where we can get a seed of something that will really either help the industry overall and thereby help Viva. You saw that with Inc., right? We completed that acquisition. We completed the, the migration of those customers. Uh, we did the acquisition five years ago, completed that. That was good for the industry, brought their DNA into Viva, um, made our products better. Um, you would see what we did with Crossix. We bought Crossix. They had a certain asset. We're leveraging that asset and bringing it into Data Cloud. So that's what we would look for. We'd look for seeds of innovation that we can grow. Very helpful. And those will often find those. So, sorry, I didn't finish. Sorry, I completed the question for you. Um, those will often come in in the smaller companies. Actually, those seeds of innovation. Impressive. So I just have a quick one because I feel like Otto has done so much work on this. He would kill us if we didn't at least mention it on the call. Could you just very nice qualify some of the Akuvia? Yeah, <laughs> he might scold. He might scold. So you've had a lot of noise about Akuvia. Could you just give us a refresh on litigation, what the worst case downside scenario really is in some of the recent announcements? Yeah. Certainly a lot of noise. Zakiria issued a really intentionally misleading uh, press release and a disinformation campaign. But um, that situation there with their anti-competitive behavior, the case is all upside for Viva because the um, status quo is this restricted data environment that Akiva has created. So that's the status quo. If And we um, nothing about these recent press release from Akiva is really about the case. It's about a procedural uh, some procedural rulings. So our case, the antitrust case is going ahead. Uh, we expect a jury trial in 2023, and we are confident in our case and expect to win. 
Now, if we did win, that would really provide more choice for the industry, and that would be um, an accelerant for commercial cloud if we would win. But we'll see. That's in 2023. All right. Very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And your next question comes from the line of Tom Reddick with Stiefel. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Great. Thank you for taking my questions. Great to hear from you all. Congratulations on the great results. Uh, Peter, I'm, I'm glad Stephanie just kind of poked at the IQVIA thread there a little bit. And I guess I, I wanted to ask a little bit of a different version of that question, which is, what are your customers saying to you about this, this fairly sort of acrimonious, uh, you know, discussions in the public arena between between you and a competitor, both of which, you know, many, many, many of your customers use both parties? Are they getting nervous at all that, you know, perhaps IQVIA data might not be accessible inside of your CRM systems in the long run, that that could create some, some issues with respect to your core positioning on that front? I'd love to hear what they're saying to you. And then conversely, you know, are they opening up and saying, um, hey, you know, we, we, we really, really do want the choice, and, and it's about time we get this choice. So uh, I'd love to know which way they're pushing on that thread. Uh, Tom, I'll take that one. You know, customers in general, they, they, you know, this is not positive for this, this, this noise. So they feel like, hey, there's two kids fighting on the lawn. They don't really care, you know, who started the fight or why. It's just noise for them. So they, they don't, they don't appreciate it. Um, I would say, I think they generally know that it's caused by IQVIA, but still it doesn't matter. They don't appreciate it. Um, they're not nervous with IQVIA. Our customers, they're life sciences companies. They're really, you know, Viva and IQVIA, we are the partners with suppliers to the industry. So I don't feel any nervousness from our customers. They knew that if IQVIA would do something like not allow their data into Viva CRM, A, they'd find another way to analyze that data, and B, um, you know, they wouldn't appreciate that from IQVIA to end up IQVIA losing business. So they're not willing to be pushed around by IQVIA. They, where they get enthused about is choice. So I think data cloud, for example, that's really enthusiastic for the customers. They want us to hurry, get that mature faster, have a full complete faster. More choice is always a positive for Viva. Noise about fighting in press releases, that's not a positive. Sorry, more choice is a positive for customers. Noise about lawsuits is never a positive for customers. Great. That's, that's, that's excellent, Peter. I appreciate that. Um, this is a little bit more in the weeds, but Brent, question for you. I mean, we look at these gross margins and they're, they're at all time highs here. Um, seemingly, you know, no reason why they can't continue. I guess the one thing that stood out to me in the prepared remarks was the discussion point that, that the last Zinc customers transitioned over to promo mats and, and it just sort of brings to mind anytime you can kind of end of life, you know, customers on one platform and, and move them all over to a modernized version. There might be lasting benefits to the gross margin line there. Um, how should we think about other opportunities across the platform um, outside of that? And, and, you know, is this kind of a, a high watermark for gross margins? And then how do we get higher from here? Yeah, I mean, thanks for the question. Yeah, it, this was an outstanding quarter, obviously, from an op margin perspective, but the highest op margin quarter that we've had to date. Um, and how I think about it is we're in growth mode right now. We're continuing to invest for customer success. Um, and, you know, we're, we're aggressively hiring, specifically in the products, sales, and services area. Um, business consulting is a focus area. So we think that will pay off long-term um, from a growth perspective. 
Um, there's some other things that are in that are um, in play regarding our gross margins as you look out uh, during the course of fiscal year 22. We do expect you know travel to return to some level normalization. There's service services utilization was running at an all-time high um, this quarter as well. So there's a lot of things that happened in Q1 that drove the, the high uh, off-margin percentage. So all in all, pleased with it. Um, great opportunity to continue to get leverage out of the model as we continue to sell best, uh, the vault product space as well. Yeah, great points. Okay, I appreciate it. Great job. Thank you. And your next question comes from a line of Brad Stills with Bank of America. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, this is Sherry on for Brad. Um, congratulations on a great quarter. Um, I wanted to ask about the Applied Life Sciences opportunity. You touched a little bit on your prepared remarks, but can you maybe provide some updates on, you know, where you are today and where you are in terms of building out that go-to-market organization? Thank you. Uh, hi, Sherry. This is Peter. Yeah, we're on track with uh, uh, outside of life sciences. There, we're focused on consumer goods and, and consumer practice goods and, and chemicals. Uh, we continue to add some customers and expand in existing customers. We believe we're on track uh, to a, sort of a, in the hundred million dollar uh, range of business for 2025. So we're on on track for that. I'm really pleased with the customer success, and you know that's what's fueling our business there. So all all's going all's going well outside of life sciences. Gotcha. And then are you seeing any changes in the appetite for, like, event services businesses uh, or physicians world, um, you know, as COVID has been start to dissipate? Thanks again. Yeah. Hey, Sherry, this is Paul. Uh, yeah, we, we, we are starting to see uh, that, that demand return. And, and I, I guess I characterize the demand around uh, digital events, which is ramping up. Uh, that's, ramp that's been ramping up for some time now, and we've really we uh, focused our business onto supporting customers doing digital events. Uh, but we're also starting to see a little bit of an uptick in, in more of the in-person events as companies are starting to think about, you know, the reopening and, and getting back face-to-face. -face. Uh, so, yes, it is, um, you know, I, I expect that kind of demand to continue uh, going forward. Uh, the good news is we're, we're focused on supporting both. So as customers, you know, prefer, we can support uh, whether it's, it's digital or whether it's in-person. Awesome. Thank you so much. And your next question comes from a line of a Stansel-Kowski with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Perfect. Uh, thank you so much, guys. Um, wanted, wanted to uh, switch for a second to, uh, to Billings and uh, obviously a very strong start to the year. Um, is there anything in Billings that we need to be mindful of as far as maybe like one time in the quarter? Uh, and, and you know, and how that um, the strength of billings to start the year informed your overall confidence in uh, the the billings uh, guidance increase for the full year. Yeah, uh, thanks, Dan. Yeah, so in Q1 we had outstanding billings result, you know, growing at 26 percent. There were no one-time items uh, in the quarter to note that um, that was a tailwind or a headwind to that number. So um, that beat um, definitely formed our guide, um, a good portion of our guide as we looked out for the year. Um, so good broad-based strength with, you know, dev cloud and services both uh, contributing nicely. Um, I would say in the beat, probably about two-thirds of that was on the subscription side and about a third in services. So overall, really good contributions uh, to the billings 
I feel safe. Got it. Perfect. And um, I wanted to just go back to uh, one of the earlier questions around the the headcount, um, uh, the, the overall reduction in headcount across the healthcare uh, in the pharmaceutical sales industry. Uh, how does that inform your thinking around uh, commercial cloud growth for uh, for the remainder of this year? Yeah. So you know the the reductions have. Um, you know, not a not a meaningful impact on, on you know the rest of this fiscal year. We've we've accounted for um, you know that into our modeling already, so uh, we don't anticipate any any material impact one way or the other. It's already accounted for in our guidance. And typically, those kinds of things, whether you know we saw a smaller or a larger reduction, um, you know, one we've modeled it in, and two, uh, those things tend to, to play out over time uh, based on renewal cycles. So um, you know, we're uh, really no change there. Well, I guess what I was trying to say is, you know, in as much as uh, maybe those, those the potential head cuts, uh, headcount cuts would come in the back half uh, of this year, or begin to to maybe um, impact you, and you guys are on the you know long term uh, strategic annual plus uh, contract. Uh, is there a potential where you know, we could see upside to the commercial cloud uh, subscription revenue uh, line? Uh, if those cuts don't materialize like you guys have been talking about for the last couple of quarters? Yes, so Stan's friend. So uh, for the fiscal year, um, so in, in my prepared remarks, I mentioned it. So we didn't see any um, increase um, in, in the reductions uh, in Q1, and we do expect uh, that to increase in the second half of the year, and that increase, in fact, is included in our guide. So we, we contemplated that into the second half of fiscal year 22. Got it. All right. Thank you, guys. Yep. Your next question comes from a line of Sterling Halting with J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. Hey, this is Drew on for Sterling. Um, you mentioned the return to travel and normalization of some of the operating expenditures. Are there any um, cost savings that you think are sustainable in the model um, after the post, in the post-COVID environment? Yeah, so I'll talk about fiscal year 22 uh, and, and what we're seeing a bit. Um, so um, we're seeing travel start to return to normalization, and that's going to progress, uh, you know, starting, you know, in the next couple months as we work through the balance of the year. Um, believe that the events will largely be virtual for the balance of the fiscal year 22. Um, all of that's been contemplated into our guide, and that's, that's why I, I explicitly stated about 175 bips of tailwind. You know, over time, how much of that will be permanent? You know, time will tell. I, I'm, I'm, I don't feel, you know, confident with the information at hand to, to give you a, a number on that. Got it. Thank you. In your next question comes from the line of Chris Merwin with Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Hi, I'm um, Dr. Chris. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, if I'm engaged, sounds like that, that was a tailwind of growth in the quarter. How penetrated is that product across the, the CRM customer base today, and how should we think about the, the runway there? Yeah, uh, this is Paul. 
you know, Gage, we talked about last quarter as being roughly 60% penetrated in the overall engaged market. So if you think about the broader engaged opportunity, we, we have, um, you know, we've captured roughly 60% of the market, and, you know, we'll expect to see uh, continued growth, you know, in engaged normalizing uh, to where it was. We obviously had a significant, um, you know, a significant bump in Q4 given the conversion, uh, but that's, that's, um, that'll play out over time where it'll be more of a normalized growth rate going forward. Got it. Um, and then given the recent investments in headcount, uh, just curious about uh, customer adoption uh, with, with CrossX. Thanks. Yeah, so, so CrossX is, um, is, is generally independent of, you know, the, the kinds of reductions that you're seeing. Uh, I would say that there is, uh, you know, an overall shift to, you know, companies operating more digitally and trying to reach customers in new and different ways and fundamentally, Cross6's business is based on supporting media and advertising and marketing, which is which is digital. So uh, we saw good strength this quarter in Cross6, and we anticipate that strength will continue going forward. Great, thank you. And your next question comes from the line of Ryan McDonald with Anitam. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, thanks for taking my question, and I apologize if it's repeated. Uh, I'll get dropped temporarily here. But I uh, wanted to ask on the uh, prepared remarks about the commentary around VisaLink and uh, the business consulting services. Uh, I think it's been an interesting dynamic that uh, uh, the comment around uh, is doubling year over year in terms of consulting. It's not the first time we've heard that, uh, and it seems to be an emerging trend. Uh, Peter, I'd be curious just to thoughts on what do you think is causing sort of this increased reliance on consulting services from customers, and how does this change your view, at, if at all, on how the component of service as a percent of total revenue and how that grows going forward? Thanks. Uh, um, in terms of the percentage revenue and how that grows going forward, I don't expect any material change there. Consulting business is growing, but it's still small as uh, when you look at uh, the the bulk of our business, which is actually subscription and professional services. Consulting is a, a bit a higher value um, service that focuses on business process, um, business process types of things, not just implementing our software. So it's growing, but it's, it's never going to be the biggest part of Eva, that type of thing. What it is is complementary. Um, so it's been very complementary. And consulting needs will go up a little bit as we have multiple products. So one of the things that consulting is very good for is stitching together the business processes that are needed when you're implementing processes, for example, across clinical and regulatory or commercial and medical. So that's, you know, that's where you get a, a lot of the value when you redesign these business processes, roles, and responsibilities. So necessary and view it as the icing on the cake, but it's not the cake. Excellent. Thanks for taking my question. Your next question comes from the line of Tyler Radke with City. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, good evening. This is YC calling in from Tyler today. Um, congrats on the result. That looks pretty strong. And then I just have a quick question regarding um, we are starting to see more customers going in full suite, especially in the last quarter and current quarter in like quality and regulatory and including a new customers all in, in commercial cloud. So I just would like to see how is this full switch deal trend like coming in versus 
your expectation initially and then also what are some of the implications that we might see going forward? Thanks. Yeah, the um, full suite, that can happen also on the R&D side and the commercial side. Um, generally, that would be with smaller biotechs because they're, they're nimble, they don't have existing infrastructure, they want to get started in a very modernized way, and and they just go along with FIVA. So I'd, I expect that trend to continue sort of as it is, maybe accelerate a bit in the small biotechs, but that, that's not really so applicable to our large enterprises because they have you know, lots of people, lots of processes, and they have to pick the parts that they, they optimize. That concludes all questions at this time. I'd like to turn this call back over to Peter for closing remarks. All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining today's call. Uh, I'd like to thank our customers for their continued partnership and our employees for their commitment to customer success. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. <laughs>